0: Hey guys, Veronica, Andrew, and Nate here. We are Foodies Foodies Watching watching Movies, a podcast dedicated to awesome movies, great food, and that's about it. Check us out on the JIC network at www.journeyintocomics.com. Maybe throw some money over to our Patreon so we can eat this week. And now your feature presentation. Following, following. The following is a into following Journey into Comics. Journey into, comic. journey into Comics. Journey into, comic. journey into Comics. Journey into Comics. Network. Network. Network Network Network, Network. Production. Production. We interrupt the Journey into Comics Network feed for this late-breaking edition of Four News. Featuring Andrew Ford. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 11 of Poor News, the show covering all things news that aren't exactly entertaining. For entertainment news, you need to check out my other show, which is Poor Entertainment. And both of those will be coming to an end as soon as the government is no longer under shutdown. Obviously, know, the government's been in a shutdown since before Christmas. We're actually entering, as you're listening to this, Day 18 of... Unless some miracle happens by the time I'm recording it now, which is the day before and the day you're listening to it. Still in a shutdown. Getting to be one of the longer ones we've had in a while. So we'll kind of have to see when we come out of this. But when we come out of this, there'll be some new shows for you to listen to. Or at least one new show that'll be taking the place of this show and the other show I do. It'll be a little interesting, but we're here today to talk about news. And since the biggest news is the shutdown, I thought we could try out by let's just talk about the shutdown so when I get into this I want to actually give a phone call to someone who knows all about the shutdown he's very involved with it let's see what he has to tell us today let me just give him a call right now okay just any minute now Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Okay. Well, it looks like nobody here has anything to say about the shutdown because the government's on shutdown, so anyone who has anything to say about it is obviously not doing their job, so what are we going to talk about today? What could we talk about? Now, I know this thing's kind of a little off the cuff than my usual show, but with the shutdown, things get a little off the rails. I know I've covered it on the entertainment part of it, but this is about the only news I can talk about that's not shutdown-related. And that is everyone's favorite pastime, and that is football. Yes, I'm talking about the American football, not the football for the European or the outside the U.S. set, which is basically soccer, football, as it will. But big thing that I saw, which was on Sunday, which was the... Bears-Eagles game. I'm not the biggest football fan I've gotten increasingly so in the past couple years. I started getting into fantasy football and all of that. So my interest is kind of picked up there, but it's still kind of a new experience for me, and I know if anyone was a Bears or an Eagles fan, Sunday's game was a bit interesting to say the least. Obviously, I'm going to say this, and you can take it with two cents. Obviously, if the victory your victory in a playoff game comes down to your kicker you have not been playing a game worthy of the playoffs so don't blame the kicker blame the offense they really should have stepped their game up and not relied on their kicker who's had a so-so career so far to clinch the victory because that's just too much pressure for one person who gets you a couple points definitely should have gotten a touchdown there i but like I said, the big thing was involving the Chicago Bears quarterback... Or not quarterback, sorry. And He he has some stuff to answer. But this is involving the Bears kicker, and that is Cody Parkey. And he has... This is an article from ESPN. In really, it's... Uh, Bears cor- uh, kicker Cody Parkey has no answer for a missed field goal loss. So kicker Cody Parkey expressed his belief that his potentially game-winning 43-yard field goal in the Chicago Bears' playoff loss to the Philadelphia Eagles hit the left upright and bounced off the crossbar. You can't make this up, Parky said. I feel terrible. I let the team down. That's on me. I have to own it. I have to be a man. Unfortunately, that's the way it went today. The man in which he missed the last second kick hit too close to home for Parky, which endured criticism earlier in the year when he bounced four separate kicks off the uprights in a week 10 victory over the Lions. The Bears are not so fortunate to escape with a win, this time falling to Philadelphia 16-15. I thought he hit a great ball and was trying to play the wind really no answer to it I didn't make it I I take the loss on me the sun is going to shine tomorrow but unfortunately this one's going to sting for a while slow motion replay shows that Parky's kick appears to be tipped at the line of scrimmage Eagles defensive tackle Trayvon Hester told the Athletic that he got his hand on the ball so really you can't even blame him if, if it was a little bit higher a little bit in a different position the the Eagles defensive tackle wouldn't have been able to tip it at all and it wouldn't have hit the upright, and the crossbar not work for us. But Parkey did make his first three field goal attempts on Sunday. Um, The veteran kicker had a trying first season in Chicago. The Bears signed Parkey, formerly of the Eagles, Browns, and Dolphins, to a four-year deal in free agency that included $9 million in guaranteed money. But Parkey ended up missing 11 total kicks on the year, eight field goals, three extra points. Parkey was named NFC Special Team Player of the Week the week after his dreadful game versus the Lions, and he... Inverted 13 of his past 14 field goal attempts prior to Sunday's late miss. It's hard, Bears head coach Matt Nagy said. It's a difficult deal. I don't think you can write this story with how things went for him this year, how we were That's my dog in the background. Gotta love reporting from the office. And then for that to happen, it's tough. Chicago has been able to stabilize its kicker situation since the club released Robbie Gold, the franchise's all-time leading scorer prior to the 2016 season. Gold, who is 82 of... A- a2 of 85 in field goal attempts since leaving the Bears. Attended Sunday's playoff loss as a fan. That's just awkward. Uh, yeah, it looks like they changed his... Um, in a more recent article, they did change his miss to a block. Um, like I said, Trevon Hester of the Eagles did tip it, which caused it to go the way it went. So, really can't blame Parkey as much. It is... Unfortunately, because they were just so close within seconds of getting it. But it is what it is with football. Sometimes all it takes is one slight miss to cause all this. Um, But speaking of the Philadelphia Eagles, this win scores the best NFL wildcard rating for NBC since 1994. Obviously, we're talking about the TV viewing. Um, Looking until the final minutes, like it may go into overtime and delay the start of the Golden Globes, last night's NFL wildcard playoff, or Sunday night as you listen to this, between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Colorado Bears was a solid winner for not just the current Super Bowl champions, but also the NFL and NBC. After a strong performance from Eagles quarterback Nick Foles, an often grinding game, and a failed potential game-winning 43-yard field goal in the final seconds from Bears kicker Cody Parker that bounced off both the upright and the crossbar, the visitors in the window claimed a 16-15 victory. The puts more wind under the Eagles' wings for a possible Super Bowl return. It is a team that we also saw near Super Bowl numbers for the league, and the Comcast-owned network on a weekend of football rating wins as the playoffs progress. Going into the first hour of Sunday's primetime and right up to the start of the Globes, the Eagles-Bears game drew a 22.9 out of 40-meter-mark result. It marks the best any show on any network of any type has done since Super Bowl 52 in February. In fact, the Eagles-Bears battle had the best wild card overnight rating for NBC since Bill Clinton was president. When the Denver Broncos took on the LA Raiders on January 9th, 1994. Well, very likely to change. Right now, the fast affiliates for the final hour of the game from 7 to 8 p.m. had the game snaring an 11.2 out of 40, um, rating among 18 to 49 overall. Viewership for the tense back and forth hour reached an amazing 37.7 million people watching to see which team would move on. With leading numbers like that and the fact that Andy Saber and Sandra O oh hosted Golden Globe is actually down from last year in metered market ratings, it's a huge blow for the award show. That is reinforced by the fact that the Eagles-Bears game peaked with a massive 27.6 out of 43 in the 7.45 to 8 p.m. time slot right before the Globes went live from the Beverly Hilton. Facing next and no serious competition, the expectation would be that the Globes would see a significant bounce from its programming predecessor as two big teams from major markets faced off. decline or, ev- or even staying flat in the case is a big loss for the Globes coming off the NFL results. Putting the results of the game in another... Uh, point of view in a season that has seen an uptick in NFL numbers last evening's game was up 12% in metered market ratings from the comparable New Orleans State's Carolina Panthers game on Fox last year we'll see final numbers for Sunday's game in the next day or two but for now check out touch on local market so Philadelphia had 44.6 out of 66 Chicago 43.1 out of 68 New Orleans 34.5 out of 51 and so on and so forth I don't know why my cat's attacking a window blind but hey what are you gonna do um, one thing that I noticed as not a great, um, like an active participant in football watching or spectating, as it will, is that this was actually, according to the Ringer, a referendum on modern coaching. All season, the story of the league has been play-calling ingenuity uh, that manifests itself in an, all four of this past weekend's playoff games, so That's not in the way we might have expected. The NFL's playoff field already serves as a useful way to identify which teams are the class of the league. The season, though, the wild card weekend games whittled the group down even further by illustrating an important league-wide trend. From the moment the Colts began their 12-7 beatdown of the Texans and through Sunday's 16-15 nail-biter in Chicago, this past weekend's results were a testament to the importance of creative, adaptive coaching. As teams with solid game plans and willingness to implement new ideas thrived, those that obstinately stuck to their guns flailed. The 2022 season exposed the growing gap between the league's best schemers and the rest of the pack. And the first set of postseason games made that even more evident. Let's start with the Colts and the staff that arguably did the best job in football this season. Saturday's clash with the Texans was the third meeting between these teams since late September. And with two games worth of film to work with, head coach Frank Reich and defense coordinator Matt Eberfliss had a clear understanding of how this could most effectively attack Houston on both sides of the ball. On the Colts' first drive of the game, with Indy facing a second and ten at the Houston 44-yard line, Andrew Luck found T.Y. Hilton deep down the middle for a 38-yard gain, one that set up a short Eric Ebron touchdown to put the Colts up 7 early. Dexon's reliance on cover two concept makes them vulnerable to speed in the middle of the field, and few receivers are better equipped to take advantage of that than Hilton. Even with a busted ankle, Luck was brilliant throughout the first half, and his performance was only accentuated by a game plan that consistently took advantage of Houston's lack of athleticism on the back end. Zone defense played a key role for Everflos as well, well, in this case, the concept was used in to his unit's advantage. Everphalus is more content to have his group sit on a soft zone coverage than just about any other coordinator in the league, and it worked to near perfection against Deshaun Watson. who's had nothing available down the field, and it led to a slew of checkdowns and errant touch throws from a quarterback who carried the Texans for much of the season. DeAndre Hopkins finished with just five catches for 37 yards, which is a recipe for disaster for an offense without many other proven pass-catching threats. At every level, the Colts look like the team with an approach well-tailored to both their personnel and their opponent. The rest will lead them to Kansas City next weekend for the AFC Divisional Round. As great a job as the Colts did this weekend, the performance from the Seahawks' coach was equally bad. Throughout the regular season, Seattle's run-heavy offensive approach produced some strong returns. Pete Carroll's team was the only group in the league that ran the ball on more than 50% of its plays. 52.4% exactly. And that, plus some occasional downfield brilliance from Russell Wilson, allowed the Seahawks' conservative philosophy to work for much of the year, but lost in a 10-6 campaign was just how difficult Seattle's scheme made life for its quarterback. A huge portion of the Seahawks' passing production came solely because Wilson can turn into a sorcerer on deep, tight window throws. Against Dallas on Saturday night, we saw quickly the approach can go awry. It's not a to say that Brian's shot in Myers... Schottenheimer's play-calling against the Cowboys among the most madly stubborn displays in recent memory. Seattle's offensive approach throughout the game was fairly straightforward. After one of the team's running backs had rushed for a minimal gain on the first down, another man had been another run had been stuffed on second down. Wilson would drop back to pass, facing a third-and-long, do his best to fit a throw into a keyhole down the sideline. Every so often, he dropped a gorgeous teardrop to Tyler Lockett or Doug Baldwin to advance the chains, but for the most part, the Seahawks struggled to generate consistent offense. Seattle converted just two of its 13 third downs and managed only 11 first downs on the day. If the Seahawks often simply had no answer for a stout Cowboys defense, that would have been understandable. Dallas Stonewall drew Breeze and the Saints in Week 13 at a time when New Orleans was rolling every other defense in its path. What's all the more frustrating, though, is that the Seahawks did have answers. At one point in the third quarter, Wilson had thrown 16 passes and averaged 8.3 yards per attempt on those throws. At that same point, Seattle had recorded... 21 non-quarterback running plays, which had gone for just 2.8 yards per carry. She a 28-yard Rashad Penny run from early in the third quarter, and the number drops to 1.55 yards per rush. Seeing so with a run early, run often play when your team can't crack 2.0 yards per carry and your quarterback is Russell Wilson, and is nothing short of a coaching malpractice. And to make matters worse, seemingly every time the Seahawks utilized play action to take a shot downfield, they produced a big play. On back-to-back 1st and ten situations early in the second quarter, Wilson uncorked play-action throws to Ed Dixon and Tyler Lockett for gains of 26 and 40 yards, respectively. Wilson finished the game 9 of 10 on play-action passes for 111 yards according to the Pro Football Focus. Yet Instead of leaning on that strategy on early downs, Seattle continued to to hammer away with the running game and satellite superstar quarterback with overwhelming odds on 3rd down. The Estadocs had the tools to combat Dallas defense on Saturday, but... Schottenmeyer refused to use them. That's the worst sort of coaching possible, an unceasing dedication to identity that's a direct contrast to what's best for your team. Malleability is a necessary trait for teams and coaches at this stage of the season. That's what made the Chargers strategy on Sunday so noteworthy. This year, most of the coaching that was lauded around the league was by newly minted offensive masterminds, but Chargers defensive coordinator Gus Bradley's game plan against Lamar Jackson, and the Ravens, was a stroke of defensive genius, as ESPN's Adam Schaefer, Schefter sorry, pointed out on Sunday, the Chargers used seven defensive backs on 58 of their 59 defensive snaps against Baltimore. Previously this season, no team in the league had utilized seven DBs on more than 17 plays in a game. Bradley clearly believed that the best way to combat Jackson's running ability was to flood the field with speed, and for much of the afternoon, he was... Right. The Chargers paired their safety-heavy approach with an expert game playing along the defensive line that matched stunts and shift alignments to various Ravens' motions and formations. By packing three players on the interior of the line and emphasizing penetration, Bradley's front four was able to set up shop in the Baltimore backfield. It didn't hurt the linebacker, Melvin Ingram, was the best player on the field. It's fitting that the Chargers earned the right to play the Patriots in the divisional round by deploying a previously unused defensive scheme. Bill Belichick has built his career by staying at least one step ahead of every other team, constantly evolving and shape-shifting the best fit his personnel and his best combat New England's opponent that week. Not surprisingly, the team that earned first-round buys this season featured four of the most forward-thinking head coaches in the league. Andy Reid and Sean McVeigh have been paragons of innovation for the past few seasons. Sean Payton has long been one of the game's preeminent offensive minds, and after a win over the Bears on Sunday, Eagles coach Doug Peterson is making noise in the playoffs. The advantage is that coaches Bride when a long way to establish those teams is the best in the football this year. Now they'll be joined in the divisional round by the coaches who are most willing to take on a similarly open-minded approach. By the time the playoffs begin, it's tempting for coaches to believe the formula that got them to the postseason is infallible. But wildcard weekend was even more proof the coaches who are able to adapt are more are the most likely to survive. And there you have that. And that wasn't even the crazy So here's the thirty-two things from USA Today about the division about heading into the divisional playoff rounds in 2018. So other two things, so number one. It seems the wild card round was chock full of fresh phases and teams. Well it was. None of the eight clubs competing in the opening round was in action in the last season's wildcard game, and the only the Eagles, a number one seed with a bye in twenty seventeen, even reached the playoff field a year ago. One A, but you'll see a large familiar character in the division round with Philadelphia returning along with four teams on bye, The Chiefs, Patriots, Rams, and Saints, all postseason entries last year too. The last team to advance the Super Bowl after playing on Wildcard Weekend was the twenty twelve Ravens who won Super Bowl. Uh 48. Looks like 48. The next ten conference champions had all all had first round buys. Jen Xer and Philip Rivers, 37 had to be the sentimental favorite to win it all, right? No quarterback in league history has thrown for more yards, 54,656, or more touchdowns, 74 Yet never played on Super Sunday. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh and how great and entertaining would it be to see Rivers' Chargers take on the Saints and former Bolts quarterback Brood Bees who kept Philip Lee Riv on the bench for two years. Number three, but if you're into unminted millennial passers, Patrick Mahomes, 23, Jared Goff, 24, Dak Prescott, 25, and most certainly Andrew Luck, 29, could ride great storylines all the way to Atlanta, site of Super Bowl 52. Three quarterbacks made their playoff debuts during wildcard weekend. Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Mitch Trubisky all lost. Well, Matt Nagy guess you should have laid down for the Vikings Week 17 rather than invite a matchup with the Eagles and your old buddy Doug Peterson. Did anyone else want Eagles-Bears go into overtime, maybe double overtime just to see how NBC would handle its Golden Globes coverage, which began minutes after Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth wrapped? Road Knights for Chicago's Park, would-be game-winning field goal attempt from 40 yards hit the uprights, then the crossbar before chroming into the end zone. No good, Parky drilled the Soldier Field uprights four times November 1st, uncanny. But I've learned anything this season. It's that Par- Parky's about to get a flood of support from kickers throughout the league as he copes with his unfortunate bounce. Uh, Nick Foles was picked off twice and Sunday's win over the Bears the last time he threw multiple interceptions in Eagles uniform. October 26, 2014, Chip Kelly was their coach, and Foles had yet to play for the Rams or Chiefs. Last time Philadelphia played the Saints in postseason, the 2013 wildcard round, Foles was also their quarterback in a losing effort. Kelly's only NFL playoff appearance. Uh, congrats, to Eagles wide receiver Golden Tate, who scored the game-winning touchdown in Chicago, instantly justifying the scrutinized trade deadline deal for him, which cost Philly a third-round pick that appeared awfully expensive given the struggles to integrate Tate into the offense. Congrats, to Eagles um, left tackle Jason Peters, running back Darren Sproles, and uh, left back Jordan Hicks, who all missed the Super Bowl twenty seventeen Super Bowl run with injuries, but tasted a playoff victory Sunday. Um... It was while our weekend MVP Chargers defensive coordinator Gus Bradley's is won on the short end of a 22-10 loss to Baltimore two weeks ago Sunday it showed the rest of the league how to contain Jackson. since in deploying a defense compromised of linemen, defensive backs of Shadow Flummox and Batter the Rookie. Jackson, who 22 on Monday, became the youngest quarterback to start a playoff game in NFL history. He looked like it. Make no mistake, the Ravens don't win the AFC North without Jackson's heroics in the second half of the season. When he went 6-1 as the starter, but Bradley and the Bolts provided a blueprint Who's stopping him, and the fresh reminder that though Jax remains an elite athlete and highly effective with the ball in open space, he's got a long, long way to go to be fully formed pro quarterback. He was sacked seven times, played off once, and fumbled thrice, losing the ball, the team's final possession. Uh, number 13, who figured out Chargers rookie K- kicker uh, Mike Badgley? Badgley? Outperforming Ravens all-star pro Justin Tucker. Bagley set a multiple postseason record with five made field goals while Tucker was one for two on three-point tries. Tucker missed five field goals this season, three against L.A. Um, Who figured on Chargers um, fullback Derek Watt, making a longer playoff run this season than brothers JJ and TJ? Oh, that's right. I forgot there was a whole mess of them. Uh, the Chargers haven't beaten Tom Brady since 2005. Rivers is a 0-7 head-to-head against TB12, including two losses in postseason. But Sunday the Chargers became the only team in the league to win eight... um win eight times on the road this season. A visit to Foxborough, daunting as it is, won't phase them. The last time Rivers appeared in a playoff game at Gillette Stadium in the 2007 AFC Championship game, he played on a torn ACL. Now these are just getting kind of long. I'm just going to kind of skip over that and go to my last thing which is just a little forward thinking here and that is for those of you interested this is the nfl playoff divisional round schedule and matchups as well as tv channel that you can watch them on so winners of this weekend wildcard playoff games will advance to the divisional round which will take place on saturday january 12th and sunday january 13th the winners will face the number one and number two seeded teams from both nfc and afc chiefs rams saints and patriots respectively Winner of the divisional rounds will advance to their conference championship where they will fight for a spot in Super Bowl 53? I thought it was 52. Oh, the last one was 52. Um, on Saturday, January 12th, Indianapolis Colts at Kansas City Chiefs. At the time will be at 4.35 Eastern time. You can watch it on NBC or wherever you can stream it. But, yeah, it'll be on NBC. Uh, Dallas Cowboys at LA Rams. That'll be at 8.15 Eastern time also on Saturday, January 12th. And that, could, that will be on Fox on Sunday at 1.05 Eastern Time. You can watch the LA Chargers at the New England Patriots on CBS. And then you can watch the Philadelphia Eagles at the New Orleans Saints at 4.40 p.m. Eastern Time, also on Fox. So that's where you can catch the playoffs. And I'm not the usual ball guy, and really after the Bears are out, I don't know if I'm really going to pay that much attention. I might be tuning out until the Super Bowl to see who actually is playing, if it's a good game. I do remember watching the Eagles defeat the Patriots last year. So maybe if the, play, if the Patriots do make it there, it'll be a chance to see that again. But maybe the Patriots won't go to the Super Bowl because I think after as many rings as they have, they can take a couple years off. Maybe it's time for Brady to retire, but that won't happen because Brady's still a superstar and until he breaks something or severely injures himself, I don't think he's going to go anywhere. Maybe Bill Belichick retire, but that's even less likely. So I don't know. I think that'll do it for poor news for this week. It's been sports news, which is fine. You can find entertainment, you can find it news that's kind of up to you. But then that'll do it. Let's uh, tune in next week for Porn Entertainment or the new show, depending on how long this government shutdown lasts. I'm a little hit or miss on what it's actually going to be, but we'll kind of have to see what happens. But that does it for Porn News for this week. I'm Andrew Poor. You can check out all the other shows on our network by going to journeyintocomics.com. We have a Patreon. You can access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. We have other new shows that have been out recently, like Dungeon with Dudes and Crucial Toons, which I haven't really talked about before, but check those out. They're really good. And we're definitely, this network has definitely been expanding. It's trying a bunch of new things, lots of new content. That's Really, it's kind of one of those things. Get on Journey to Comics Network, listen to the best of the week. If you find a show you like, check out more of its content. But if you want to get a taste for what the network has to offer... Just listen to those best week episodes that air every Sunday, which are little snippets of all the shows you're gonna see. That Nate curates himself after he listens to all the week shows. So just take that taste and find out if you something you like. Maybe there's nothing you like, and in that case, move on. There's plenty of podcasts out there, but I'm sure you can find something with just a an hour of your time listening to the best of the week. Well, that does it. Have a great week, guys.